welcome to AU City, a collaborative storytelling podcast where plots are hatched, neurodivergence are unmasked, and pride is 13 months a year, every year. <laughs> I'm your co-host, V Park, pronouns she, they, former horse girl, honor student by day and aspiring sleuth by night, who grew up to make stories happen for a living. Creative collusion is my favorite activity. Also, I'm in my villain era, whatever that means. And I'm your other co-host, Ray Noble, pronouns he and they. And earlier today, a random stranger told me they loved me while I was taking a walk. It was like a drive-by admission of love and kind of a hit on and run, if you will. I am still processing my feelings, but thank you for joining us. I believe it. So today we are going to diverge a bit more than usual with a showy episode format that is a little more Project Runway and or Top Chefy than usual. And that's right, fellow reality TV show fans, today's episode is a challenge episode. Challenge episode. I feel like mm. we need a song for that, like challenge, challenge, challenge. Challenge, challenge. It's <laughs> challenge time. Talk to Jake, our As beautiful cl- composer. Cl- clearly our composer is good at his job and is probably better than us. Um, okay, so challenge. What does that mean in the context of AU City's collaborative storytelling skills for neurodivergent creatives mission statement, you might ask? Elementary, my pretties. <laughs> Know. Well, that, was, that was a really long way of saying that. Uh, basically, what it means, it's a big, it's fine. What it means for us essentially is that this week, Ray and I each gave each other a prompt, a challenge, if you will, to FA fuck around uh, within a given set of parameters, which is a fun way to force oneself and others to write outside of our comfort zones. One of the best things about collaborative storytelling, IMO, regardless of the medium, is that it forces us to remember that like no story is ever created in a vacuum. No matter how much some writers like to think that, you know, every idea we've ever had is 100% original, that's just not realistic. Creativity mm-hmm. is energy. And as the first mm-hmm. law of thermodyn- thermodynamics tells us, energy can be changed from one form to another, but it cannot be created or destroyed. So one of my main missions in life is to help other creatives and people in general understand that building things together doesn't lessen the value of that thing that you built. In fact, I think it augments it. I feel like you're about to launch into a TED talk, which means we're right on schedule. (laughs) So yeah, this is how it's going to work for today's episode. On Monday, we each issued each other a challenge to write a scene with specific parameters by Friday. We'll tell you what those challenges were, how they went, and read the scenes for today's show. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to issue a special ride-along, also perhaps a co-fuck-around, <laughs> and challenge for the listeners if you guys want to take part. Fair. I think I think co-fuck-around is, is a great way of saying it. Uh, so let's bring it back to the basics. I challenged the, you challenged me. Mm-hmm. What was your challenge? And more specifically, why? did you do this to me? (laughs) Because I am evil. And literally the second that you brought the idea of a challenge into the, the, the canon of the canon. (laughs) Cause I made it canon. This is why it's my fault. Okay. It's it's you. It's all your fault. You're the one that did it. So yeah, I instantly knew literally what the challenge had to be as soon as you said it. So for those who are not familiar with V's writing. V is very dialogue heavy because V is very witty, very let's not, into let's the banter. Let's not fat shame. Let's not, let's not, not heavy shame my dialogue. I am not doing so. I also am a dialogue heavy person. I rely on dialogue a lot, but because of that, I know that it is also a challenge to write a scene without it. And so I decided to go ahead and 
give V the challenge of writing a hush style episode a la Buffy the Vampire Slayer with a chunk of the Drew crew or however she wanted to do it. She had the limitations of only one character being able to have dialogue. Dialogue. Uh, what? Which Wait, was a I was allowed point. to have one person that had dialogue? Yes, I was not it aware was in of the that. Voice text. Okay, it so that's on me. Text. That's on me. Okay, so here's the thing. So like, I don't even know how you knew that that was, I must've told you at one point and forgot that I told you that Hush was like one of my all-time favorite episodes just because of how genius it is Probably. as a device to have, you know, if you're not familiar with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's an entire episode where like monsters come to town and they suck everyone's voices out and it's very creepy. The monsters are like next level creepy, but like to me, it's just so genius to have an entire, as someone who used to work on TV sets, the amount of it's like- it's it's masterful because like they didn't actually mute anything that's what's great to me so it's all the sounds are happening there's just no voices no one's allowed to speak so just imagine every time like a grip like dropped something on his foot and like wasn't allowed to curse because it was like quiet on set but not silent on set like beautiful and it's just so to this day like watching it it's so eerie the moments there there's no music or there's music then it's just such a great way to kind of force characters to emote and, mm -hmm. but I, but I thought I, I didn't realize you remembered me saying that. And I also didn't realize that your evil genius had extended to like, you know, the, be careful what you wish for gene. Um, I don't know I if I remember was like, this is a great it. idea. And then you remember like 30 minutes later, I went from being like, this is awesome. I'm so excited to be like, oh, fuck you. Fuck you, man. Fuck you so hard. I'm so mad well, right that's now. Why I was really like, I felt bad at first until like <laughs> you gave me your challenge as well. And I was like, oh no. Okay. Again, I, don't I thought I was anymore. being nice. So <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But anyway, what did I say? There was a part I will say that. So like, so <laughs> in implementing these challenge, I, to be fair, didn't realize I was allowed to have anyone with a, a dialogue. So I have zero dialogue except in like <laughs> recall. Amazing. Anyway, awesome. hated it, hated it. Several voicemails like 2 a.m. where I got being like, um, love you, hate this, hate the fuck out of this, love, love you, hate this. Um, and also, well, <laughs> yeah, that's how you know it's a challenge. And that's the other thing I can exactly. say over and over is like, it's not a challenge if it's not a challenge. It's not a challenge. If it's not challenging, it's not a challenge. If it's not challenging, be, be. If it's not challenging, then it's not really a challenge. And like, it was just this whole, I like, you know, as per usual with my, my writing process, for those of you who don't know, is like, before I even get to fucking around and finding out, I have to throw like a little tantrum first with myself. Mm -hmm. where it's like, no, no, I'm not yeah. going to do, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going, I'm, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do, I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like it. And then I'll just be like, well, I guess I have to do it. And then, you know, after I finish my tantrum, I get around to it. So without much more ado, mm -hmm. here is the thing is there anything else the i need thing. to do to pitch off the thing i'm just gonna launch into the thing i think because... you should just launch into it because right. i only had very small parameters so i think that's all we needed to address so okay well the yeah. thing all, all i will say about the thing as far as context goes is that i'm pretty much just basing off of what we've already performed of au nancy drew season four so Perfect. i'm not really introducing anything new per se Perfect. all right so the au episode six challenge scene by b it was Bess who first figured out that the music was doing things to people. Ordinarily, Nancy would have been impressed, but with the way things were lately, she couldn't help feeling annoyed. She was the veteran sleuth after all, the hero of Horseshoe Bay. She should have picked up on the strangeness of it all sooner. Everyone had been acting oddly since that carnival had rolled into town, but she chalked it up to excitement, distraction from otherwise depressing contemporary times, novelty. They'd never had a carnival in town before, not as far back as Ryan or even Carson could remember. They would have asked Hannah, but she was long gone now. 
Beth said she was spending her summer backpacking in Nepal, after which she planned on moving to a cabin in Alaska, where nobody local would ever contact her with terrible magical mysteries. Nancy was incredibly jealous of that fact for several reasons. One, she'd never been to Alaska, but she heard it was relatively much less haunted than Maine. Two, it must be nice to have nobody know your name or expect anything from you. Bess did her best, searching the Historical Society archives. She said Horseshoe Bay hadn't hosted any kind of traveling show since the early 1920s. That in itself should have set off alarms, since apparently shows like this were in their heyday for the entirety of the Great Depression, often beginning in East Coast port towns like this one when ships filled with performers from Eastern Europe and beyond would sail in and spill out across the docks, earning their keep in town before buying vans and building wagons to take them touring across the United States. The smaller the town, the longer the companies usually stayed, which would seem ironic if not for the fact that back then, most towns didn't have a movie theater, and this was long before every home had a television set and unlimited streaming entertainment. This one was similar to the classic traveling shows, and in fact, Ace and Addie had managed to find old newspaper clippings at the library from other towns nearby, going back as far as 1918, hosting a carnival operating by the same name, the Wayward Traveling Show, minus the boss law part. It seemed the titular ringleader came later, and from what they'd seen in the archives, the name Law was more like a title that got passed down from ringmaster to ringmaster in this particular show, like the Dread Pirate Roberts. They didn't know that for sure, but it was the only thing that made sense, given that otherwise boss law would be about, Nancy did a quick mental calculation, 105, give or take 10 years. But he didn't look a day over, well, maybe a rough ridden 40. George said he had daddy vibes, which was particularly awkward coming from her, especially when Nancy saw his picture on Ace's phone and noticed that law bore a striking resemblance to her actual biological dad. But that was a baggage-heavy thought to unpack at another time. Then again, it wouldn't be first time she'd met someone who was much, much older than they looked. A shiver went through her as she remembered the first time she'd crossed paths with Temperance Hudson. I'm a Hudson, too. Those words had been desperately ripped from Nancy's wraith-bruised throat, a truth more damaging than any insult. The look on old Temperance's face had been predatory, flicking from surprise to hunger to calculation so quickly that Nancy hadn't caught it, or if she had, she'd misinterpreted it as something else. Literal greed, perhaps, thinking that Nancy's proximity to wealth and power by birth would solve her current problems. Whatever Nancy assumed back then, she'd been so utterly, disastrously wrong. Nancy had missed so many signs, back then and now again. Most recently and disastrously, she hadn't noticed the true power of the music until it was too late. Now, with more than half of Horseshoe Bay enthralled by law, the strange ringmaster who seemed to know too much about Nancy's family history and the darkest secrets of her hometown, it was too dangerous to publicly investigate. He had spies everywhere. Spies who didn't even know they were spies because they didn't remember doing his bidding. They didn't recall anything they said or did after the fact. All they remembered was how it made them feel. The music, the lights, the taste of uninhibited freedom, greedy and gluttonous and willing to do anything to get whatever they wanted. For some, it felt refreshing, finally allowing themselves to act selfishly for once. Except with every visit to the wayward traveling show, the bonds between visitor and host became a little tighter, a little harder to escape. The carnival was like a parasite, winding its way through town and feeding off the lifeblood of its citizens, taking much more than it offered in return. 
it had already happened to at least one teenager in town, an unhoused minor named Jeremy, who had stopped by the youth center a few times recently. Addie figured out he was a runaway and had been trying to convince him to work with her and Nick to stay in Horseshoe Bay legally as an emancipated minor with a part-time job and a home of his own. But the last time they'd seen Jeremy, he'd been sporting his first tattoo, a sigil identified by Bess to carry a spell that would guarantee he'd never be found by anyone of his own blood. Nancy could guess why he'd made such a drastic deal with law, but as complicated as her own relationship with her blood relatives was, she knew she could only imagine how bad things at home must have been for this kid. After a few days working his new job at the carnival, Jeremy barely looked like a kid at all. The pact had aged him, prematurely siphoning away his youth. Nancy used to be the best at picking out patterns, noticing clues, remembering facts, at least when it came to mysteries, if not when figuring out the inner workings of people. If she wasn't the best at solving problems, what use was she, really? To break a spell woven in symphony, the purest silence is the strongest remedy. Magical fixes were way too vague in Nancy's opinion. She opened her mouth to say as much for the third time in as many minutes. Then she remembered, closed her lips, frowned. The purest silence. What the hell did that even mean? From her POV, the current extremely awkward silence didn't feel pure at all, and the strength of the remedy remained to be seen. There were too many variables, too many potential hidden meanings and double entendres at all times. Magic was like love that way. Not that she was an expert in either. No words uttered before dawn or all souls will be lost. That was what the book said. Why the ritual allegedly called for the purest silence. They'd all agreed, well, everyone except George, who promptly stomped out of Icarus Hall after saying there was no way she'd take such a risk as the sole caretaker to her sisters. Not to mention, she'd already put her soul on the line for this town too many times. Call me in the morning if you make it out here alive, she'd toss back over her shoulder before slamming the door. Nancy couldn't blame her. If she could have come up with a valid excuse to flee the scene, she would have. Anything to take herself out of this particular equation. Now it was too late. They were in this problem together, trapped in limbo for 10 more hours in almost total silence. Taking the lead on this magical mystery, Bess paced in front of Nancy's giant whiteboard, periodically adding more symbols and question marks to what already looked like the conspiracy theory wall of a truly unhinged person. Before they started the silence spell, Bess called them runes, sigils and runes. Nancy couldn't remember the difference, but that was mainly because she hadn't really been listening. Someone, something, something, had her feeling a little too distracted lately. From her perch on top of the cluttered antique desk, Nancy noticed Nick exchanging a loaded glance with Ace from where they were both sitting on the dusty floor. Her eyes dropped to Ace's hands, and sure enough, they were much more obviously restless than the rest of him. He raised them instinctively, fingers flexing, preparing to fire off a silent reply to Nick's unspoken question. But then he froze, looked down, remembered the stakes. Lacing his fingers together tightly, Ace dropped them back into his lap, pursing his lips in frustration. He almost caught Nancy staring, but she was too quick. Plus, she'd been practicing. She dropped her eyes back to the book in her lap, pretending to be entranced by whatever was on the page. Instead of the boy with the talented hands and beautiful eyes, whose proximity she could feel like an industrial strength furnace. Did signing count as uttering words, though? Bess seemed to think so. And since she was apparently their subject matter expert in this case, Nancy had to admit silently to herself that it was probably the right call. Flipping the page, she noticed a sigil rune that looked similar to one of Bess's. She waved to get Bess's attention, holding up the book and pointing Ace and Nick both looked her way, but Bess kept pacing, living the mental zone of her own. 
Annoyed, Nancy snapped her fingers without thinking it through. That earned the full force of Bess's most uptight British attention, but not in a good way. Eyebrows fierce, Bess gestured dramatically to the board. Purest silence. Yeah, we know, Nancy almost muttered, but caught herself the last second. Bess widened her eyes, making a semi-threatening gesture to underline the point. Nancy couldn't help casting a glance at Ace, who smirked at her like he could tell exactly how she was feeling. A spark of pain laced through her chest, and she almost winced. She looked away, trying to act casual as she rubbed at the spot. The strange mark that had appeared below her left collarbone a few days ago felt warm for some reason. It wasn't always painful as long as she didn't think about it or look at it or think about slash look at him. Bess came over and grabbed the book out of Nancy's hand, saving her from falling victim to the wrong kind of thoughts again. Scanning the page, Bess shook her head, then somehow managed a totally silent scoff. It was actually pretty impressive. Nancy smiled, but didn't turn. She could feel his eyes on her already. He knew exactly what he was thinking already. Pure silence or not, this was definitely pure torture. Another jolt of sensation in her chest and an involuntary move to conceal it. Nancy couldn't help tugging at the collar of her shirt, pretending to adjust it so she could run her fingers over the mark. From the corner of her eye, she noticed Ace, almost perfectly mirroring her actions. But that was probably just a coincidence. And scene. <laughs> I'm so mad at you. I was that whole time, but I had to be because I was reacting too much. I was wondering how you were so silently flailing over there. (sighs) Yeah, no, it was just, thank God for mute because I was not silent. (laughs) All I saw was just flails every couple minutes and I'm like, I can't, I can't look over. I'm going to lose my pace. Yeah, no, don't look over. Don't look at me. Oh my God. I'm in love. I'm, it was... So wonderful. I'm so happy that I gave you that challenge because not only am I excited that you are diving into prose for the first time since we've been doing this, but also I have been so excited for you to get into Nancy's head. I have been waiting for this. Oh, yeah. Moment. I forgot to yeah. warn you about that. Yeah. Cause it's oh, no. like, well, who am I going to write from the perspective of? Is there even well, a question? And from, so the only thing that I saw about this before, like V went into it was the first line because I was putting my own bit, like the bottom half of our script. (laughs) And so literally that's all I saw. So I actually thought it was a best POV. I had no idea that it was going to be Nancy. I can't do the accent. Oh, Oh, yeah, no. I literally, the one, the one saving grace of not having dialogue was like, well, now at least I won't butcher the best accent again. Cause I like hella embarrassed myself last time with it, but (laughs) I will, I will note, and as a caveat, you know, my first thing, and as you recall, the reason you gave me this challenge is because I don't like to talk about or write about feelings. There's a reason mm-hmm. that I do, I do write prose, but again, I tend to write prose from the perspective of people like me who are either Capricorns or emotionally stunted and don't like talking about and or feeling <laughs> their feelings. So you yep. will notice that I did kind of cheat a little bit by writing from Nancy's POV because she's a character who, like me, is allergic to feelings. So I appreciate that you uh, didn't get mad at me about that. (laughs) No, I mean, however, I still think, though, that even as guarded as Nancy is, that is as close to dealing with her feelings as Nancy usually gets. So in a scene where we are not having a climax, a truly climactic moment, we're just getting a snapshot of the instance and seeing what's happening. I loved it. I also like the way that you managed to move the story and season four along, not just for like, you know, you and you and my sake, but also for, it really works for the listeners because the listeners are literally listening to this showy episode. And the last thing that they heard was the dance macabre at the carnival and the way that this like perfectly flows into that chef's kiss. So wonderful. 
also holy shit purist silence that like oh my god are you happy that i wrote you a spell i'm so happy you're gonna enjoy that i'm so happy i have a cat on my lap now so please excuse me if there's any cat noises uh but yeah so i just as soon as you as soon as you got to that point i had this little moment of holy shit that is perfect like it is the perfect response to not only me giving you this challenge, but also like to move the plot forward and to make the challenge part of the story almost. Oh, I loved it. It was so You're it was welcome. so well done. I loved it. Also, a tiny little shout out to the OG 1986 Buffy movie, which the the, the line and the rest of silence, which I kind of did on purpose, but also kind of not. But also like to me, okay. I like making, as you know, breadcrumbs that don't necessarily lead anywhere yet, but like we might pick them back up later. So feel free to take that spell and run with it because I did not, to be honest with you, think it all the way through. Like, I don't know what it does. We'll figure that out later. Well, well like, and that's part of collusion. Yeah. And that was my like same thing with the music in the carnival to begin with is that I didn't really know what we were going to do with it, but it worked yeah. in, in well, our We form made the device. So now we can use the device for our nefarious purposes. And that's why exactly. devices are great as tools. Exactly. Sometimes to screw and sometimes to hammer. Yeah. That was so I think dirtier than attention. Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. I love it. I always love it. Um, so Miss Penelope would like to let you know that she also adored it. She's sitting here purring on my lap. She and looks so she excited. Approves. She looks happy. So yeah, she's very happy. So thank you for doing so amazing with your portion of the challenge. I do not know if I can say the same thing, but in that case, I'm going to segue into letting V explain what her challenge was for me. Okay. So again, I wasn't trying to hurt you with mine just to clarify that. Uh, I, I, and I was, I think I was being very cool by uh, like, I first basically texted Ray at like 1239 and I was like, all right, so I'm going to make you choose between two vibes without any context whatsoever. So I think I said something along the lines of like, do you choose angst or hilarity? <laughs> and then I made Ray choose between like, again, cause vibe is often how I begin all things with vibe. Um, and you chose hilarity, but I knew it would still have angst in it either way. Cause that's, that's how you do. Um, and then I worked within the confines of our AU Nancy Drew season four premise that we've created. Um, and I used kind of like what we built up so far as a scaffolding to ask Ray for a scene that I was really excited. Again, it was pretty selfish of me because I kind of just knew that Ray does such an amazing job with Bess. And understanding okay. the character of Bess and the relationships. As you know, I'm a huge hoe for ship-driven things. I love writing and reading ship-driven, not just not just relationship romance, but like all relationships, including it, friendships. And so because Ray is such a, a really good grasp on just like Bess's relationships, I thought it would be really cool uh, to give Ray, ask Ray for a scene that explored a new situation ship for a ship that we haven't really seen in the show explored, but which I knew you would have so much fun with. And that is what I'm going to call Bess Mura or like maybe <laughs> to mess. Uh, I'm not sure what their ship name would be, but basically Bess and Tamura. Uh, two of our favorite characters. As we know, Bess has a canonical background complete with, you know, very awkward kind of 2010-ish era pink velour sweatshoot flashback. I can't remember what episode that is, but it was very jarring. It was um, very jarring. Yeah, it, it showed her working as a con artist, basically, and it's been referenced multiple times in the show that, like, in her teens, you know, she kind of pulled herself out of poverty by working, finding, basically partnering with this guy who taught her the art of the con. Um, we don't really get to see those skills reprised by Bess often enough in the show, in my humble opinion. 
So I challenged Ray to write a scene where Bess has to use her con artistry to distract or kind of pull the wool over the eyes of the otherwise unflappable Abe Tamara. So I'm very excited. I have not read this yet. I'm I'm very no, stoked. He has not read it. And I will say, I don't know how well I did with the um with the grift, quote unquote, um, because I definitely went more of the like heist angle a little bit. However, I did run into a problem where how the fuck are you supposed to heist a fucking detective? <laughs> That's why it's great. That's why it's a great That's- idea. And the reason why I'm mad about this, the reason why I'm mad about this challenge is because I actively avoid writing grifts and heists and all of that shit. I love content about it. Fantasy, like Fantasy and the Furious, one of my like own writing projects is literally based off of the Fast and the Furious franchise, which is all about heisting. It, it is, is all about heist. Well, no, let's not. So first of all, it's all about family. It's all about family. It's all about family, but the heist is part of family. <laughs> That's actually a good point, though. The grift is just a vehicle, much like the vehicles are just a vehicle in the fast and the furious wow ow are you okay no (laughs) do you need a second to lie down on the floor yeah (laughs) sorry that my puns upset your worldview so much no it's okay it's okay you're just giving me a lot of feelings about fast and the furious right now it's fine it's fine it's all about family okay moving on but yeah so um unfortunately um Let's okay. So I, like I said, I don't know how well I actually did the grift. So we did more of a heisty situation, which still, I I don't know how, how well I did. I cannot say that that part of the challenge was like done well. If we were in a reality TV show, I would not win the date. I would not win the date. We I mean, win the date. no, we're not. First of all, we're not in competition. The whole point of this is we're colluding I'm and collaborating saying, to create greatness. The reality TV show challenge like you know metaphor if that's the vehicle that we're currently in then you're not wrong however i will say this there is more we're more tim gunn than gordon ramsay here okay reasonable we're like this is the make it work moment (laughs) exactly this is a make it work moment explain to me what's going on here that's that's the vibe i like that okay so i personally do think that i did besmer pretty good and i'm pretty excited about that i do think i had a, a good level of like slight hilarity with things and we still get a little bit of angst we we have my we have all of the vibes necessary yes vibes show us show us only thing i'm concerned about is the heist so okay with that being said let me go ahead i will not be taking criticism at this time from you about you action okay so before i dive into actually starting the story in terms of where this scene is in season four it really is not the same as v's Mine is just a random scene literally encapsulating this challenge. We could have it actually be in the show, whatever, but it's just for fun. Bess knocked on the door of Detective Tamara's Horseshoe Bay rental and cursed herself for having the audacity to only go big or go home. Standing on the threshold of her first con in months with what felt like the unabashed confidence of her ex-husband and knowing thusly that it had nothing of merit behind it, well, one could say her nerves were shot. Probably for the best, though. If she didn't overwhelm them to the point of inactivity, they might blow the whole pooch. Oddly enough, a dog barked on the other side of the door at the same moment. Bess jumped backwards as the woofing intensified with the opening door, a confused Tamura holding back a German shepherd by his collar. Bess, he asked as he dragged her as her, she dragged her eyes away from his gigantic puppy. Detective Tamura, she explained, nodding to the dog that was still trying to get out of the detective's hands, though the woofing had shifted to a high-pitched whine. I didn't know you had any pets. 
Well, no one's asked, Tamara replied with a shrug, finally getting the dog behind him and into a full sit before he looked back at Bess. A little surprised that you know where I live, but not know that I have a dog. Although I'll take that as a good sign. A good sign of what? Bess asked, trying to focus on how to get into the house. Her eyes flicked to his wrist. No smartwatch. Damn. His phone was pushed out of his pants pocket, unlit. Well, if Drew and her horde don't know I have a dog, then I must not be under constant scrutiny of the Drew crew. He wavered for a moment to stare at his companion as the dog let out another long-winded whine. Which means that, to an extent, at least Nancy thinks I'm trustworthy. Considering the record you all have with the authorities in town, I'd say that's probably something I should note, he finished. Bess stared at him in awe for a moment. Perhaps it was that she had never had a heart-to-heart with a detective before, or perhaps because he was a little less standoffish on his return to the Bay, but something about him seemed familiar. The uncanny kind of familiar that she couldn't quite put her finger on. Unfortunately, the uncanny familiar feeling did nothing to help her get her hands onto Namura's watch, so she buried the thought for now. Quantico made made quite the Sherlock out of you, Bess said with a half laugh. Tamura didn't. I didn't go to Quantico. That's the FBI, he said. I'm a detective. Do you not know the difference? Before Bess could answer the question, the dog started barking again, and Tamura heaved a sigh. Cohen, shush. Bess, please don't take this the wrong way, but why the hell are you on my front porch? It's going to be a monsoon out there any second, and I don't have all day. Right, of course, I'm so sorry, she insisted. Pleasantries rolled out of her mouth, paving an easy road for the griff set up. Would you be able to help me get a hold of Ace? My phone's dead. I need a jump and a pickup, and I would usually walk back to the morgue myself, but I didn't check the weather report this morning, and I decided to wear these heels. You see how thin they are, she asked, lifting up a shoe for him to see. It's an absolute surety that I'd break my ankle in this downpour, and I just got a pedicure, so if I went barefoot, it would ruin it. I really should have chosen the boots, but none of them worked with these pants, and I appreciate your candor, Tamara interjected, but I don't need the whole rundown. Come inside. I'll text Ace, he said with an eye roll. I've been driving a cruiser in my cars back in Georgia or I jump your van for you, he said as he stepped to the side. Bess was instantly mauled by the affections of the mid-sized, long-haired dog, his tongue lolling out of his mouth as he smashed his nose into every nook and cranny of Bess's outfit. Shouldn't a Marvin be driving something a little more reliable? Bess felt a sting of pain as the word passed over her, and she shook her head. Being a Marvin means independence, she said, though her throat was tight. Tamara had no reason to know about her situation. If I needed help from my family, I'd ask, which I can't do because of the dead phone, Bess replied. The reminder had Tamara instantly grabbing at his phone. Bess held her breath behind him. The screen stayed dark as he tapped it. Mine's dead too, he said with a sigh. Long night at the station. Bess closed a fist in a tiny victory before Tamara turned back to her. What type of phone do you have? We can charge yours for a few minutes, he asked, and she nodded, handing her phone back to him. A phone, a phone, really. She knew better than to bring any device with possible evidence on it into a cop's house. And the Drew Cruz group chat, that would have raised some serious questions. This one was a burner inside of her no longer in fashion cases, though the rest was completely stock. Thank you so much, she said as she handed it to him, watching him closely as he moved toward toward the hallway. Could you point me toward your bathroom? I just finished a venti. I don't need to know, he said, shaking his head. Follow me. It's the closest door on the left, he said, waving her after him. This is such a quaint little place, she said as her eyes caught the crown molding, then a staircase at the end of the hallway. Tamura pushed the bathroom door open as he passed, snapping his fingers for Cohen, the shepherd, to follow him instead of their new guest. I'll get your phone charging and meet you back in the kitchen. I'll make you a cup of coffee. He ignored everything she'd said, making sure to keep on topic before clearing his throat. I think I have some black tea if you'd prefer. I would, thank you, she said in her most posh accent to emphasize. The longer she could keep him in the kitchen, the better. No problem, he said, snapping his fingers at the dog once more before the door shut behind her. 
Bess instantly rested her head against the wood, taking a deep breath as her fingers instinctively turned the lock. Okay, Trani, she said, spinning to face the mirror and instantly eyeing the door to the medicine cabinet. You can do this. It's been a while, but you can do this. It might be easy. You might be able to snatch it off his bedside table. No dirty work involved. Or you can turn around right now and just not do this. You don't have to be a thief. Except she did. It was for Ace. Bess didn't spend another second thinking. Instead, ripping open the door of the medicine cabinet and finding another strangely familiar item. The same deodorant she'd seen in Ace's apartment. Her eyes flicked to an orange medicine bottle with a faded label. Anxiety meds, though long expired. They sat in between the same brand of men's once-a-days that Ace had picked out when they went on their first official monthly grocery shopping trip and shaving cream that matched the deodorant in both brand and scent. All right, Bess said to herself as she bit her lip. This is weird. She set the medicine cabinet again, leaned over to flush the toilet, and turned on the sink as before she opened the door as quietly as she could before poking her head out of the door. The dog was nowhere to be seen, and the sounds of Tamura in the kitchen echoed into the hallway. She took a deep breath and ran on her tiptoes down to the end of the hallway, holding her breath as she looked past the staircase to see what looked like the master bedroom. This is unreal, she said as she walked into the room, its door open. Ace had refused to step foot into the historical society for the first few weeks she'd worked there, so she'd grown accustomed to visiting him in his well-lit apartment. Standing in Tamura's bedroom now, it looked like a reflection of Ace's room. Bed on the opposite wall in nearly the exact position, bedside table on the wrong side, with the same scattered but organized slew of his daily tech, loose change, a photo of what she assumed was family, and another that was turned face away from the bed, purposefully. It was the picture, specifically, that made the dominoes finally fall into alignment in Bess's mind. Her lip wobbled. This might be a little bit more difficult than she thought. If you don't delete the text, Ace will get fired, Bess told herself as she crossed the room to the bedside table, ignoring the urge to look at the photo and instead checking the phone. Tamara's was dead still on the bedside table, her burner plugged in, face down. She pulled the cord off one phone and inserted it into the other, cursing the fact that Tamara's didn't immediately light up, instead showing a red battery icon. Come on, she whispered before realizing she had forgotten one fatal piece of the puzzle. She could unlock the phone with the watch, but she couldn't unlock his watch if there was a password on it. Shoot, 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 she cursed as the fruity logo finally appeared, the phone slowly turning back on. Behind her, the kettle began a low whistle, and with it, the dog began woofing, making it impossible to hear footsteps behind her. She grabbed her phone and ran out of the room. I hope you don't mind, Bess said suddenly. I grabbed my phone from your room. It's alive now, but I I don't have service. It must be the storm, she rambled as the dog ran to her, doing tiny jumps for attention at her feet. Oh, Tamura said as he made eye contact with her. It's no big deal, I guess. I plugged your phone in too, since mine isn't working, Bess replied. One of the most important things about Griff's was the honesty. It was a delicate balance. Too much detail or too little could lead to suspicion, and even more so when your mark was a detective. Hopefully we don't have the same cell phone carrier, she said as he set a mug in front of her, snapping for the dog's attention once more. He was careful as he moved the steaming hot kettle toward the island and poured the hot water over tea bags that were already sitting inside the mugs. It was almost like he thought about every move before he made it. Caution, pointing every action. Now the best saw it, she couldn't unsee it. Tamura was dark ace. He was what happened when the heartbreak didn't heal right. Her chest banged and her motivation flared. She would not be the reason her best friend sank just a little deeper, not if she had any say in the matter. Thank you for letting me wait the storm out here. I know I'm an inconvenience, she said, and he nodded as he set the kettle back on the stove, one hand absently patting Cohen on the head. 
I don't think the people of Horseshoe Bay would approve of their head detective turning out a young woman in need, he replied, but he shrugged as he finished off with, you're welcome, though. Cohen definitely likes the company. How old is he? She asked. At the same moment, a crackling sound came from the entrance. Damn, Timura whispered. One second. Bess's nerves went wild as Cohen followed his dad out of the room, where he returned a second later with a walkie-talkie in his hand, background static echoing off the high ceiling. Phone lines are down, Tamura said, just before a voice broke through the white noise. Detective Tamura, I'm sorry to ask you this, but there's a power line down outside your place. Could you keep an eye on it until HB powers out that way? We're spread thin as it is. Copy. Copy, Tamura said, sighing before he continued. I'll be there in five. Oh, that's not good, Bess said, although relief flushed through her veins. You can stay here until I get back. HB power shouldn't be too long. You just need to set up a perimeter. Cohen will make sure I stay in line, Bess insisted, and he nodded, looking her up and down before clipping his radio to his belt and slipping a jacket over his shoulders. I'm sure he will. I'd prefer it if you didn't wander, but uh, if you if you want more tea, it's in the cupboard above the stove, he said, and she nodded, waving to him as he stepped out the door with his keys in hand. Cohen ran out, ran for the door as soon as it was closed, and Bess was only a few steps behind him, watching until Tamara had pulled out of the drive. She dropped it, dropped into a squat and gently touched Cohen's cheeks. He instantly looked at her with two understanding brown eyes. I need to do something sneaky, and you need to keep an eye out for your dad, she told the dog, hoping that perhaps one of her possible powers was animal telepathy. The shepherd merely blinked in her turn, tail wagging slowly. Oh, this is a waste of time, she replied, instantly tiptoe running across the house again and back into Tamara's bedroom. Cohen followed, instantly jumping on the perfectly made bed. Oh, oh no, don't mess it up. I don't know if you're allowed on there. Despite this, she still ran to the bedside table, undeterred. The fruity phone had finally booted up, but there was a face ID, which could be over overridden with password or the watch next to it. <laughs> Okay, Tamara, she whispered to herself, how do I find your password? Bess stopped for a moment, looking around the room. It was sterile, aside from the dog on the bed, and aside from the photos on the nightstand. She chewed on her bottom lip as her eyes fell to the shifted picture. She groaned in regret as she grabbed it, flipping it over to look at its contents. It was Tamara and a woman with dark auburn hair. Tamara was holding the camera above their heads, and they grinned into the lens. Behind them was a beautiful lake surrounded by mountains and evergreens. The woman had her left hand lifted upward, showing off a glittering diamond on her finger. Bess swallowed the lump in her throat. It felt like daggers running down as she opened the frame and checked the back for information. This is what our forever looks like, was scribbled on the back. Underneath, a date. 6-17. Bess took a deep breath and placed the photo back as best she could, uttering the numbers 0617 over and over until she pulled the watch from its charging pad and popped the digits in finger hovering over the seven key until it was about to time out on her. The watch opened and a moment later it vibrated. Tamara's phone unlocked and Bess almost burst into excited tears. They were also a little sad. She couldn't let Ace turn into this. She opened the phone immediately and tapped the messages. Notifications already lighting up. Ace's text was one of them. Tamara called me haircut again. I think I might choose violence if he does it one more time. I have too many scalpels at my disposal was the second text on the screen. The first being an emergency message from the city about the storm. She deleted the text, then did the same on his watch, placing them back where they came from and turning the phone over. Then she wiped them down with the edge of her shirt, just in case, because fingerprints. Cohen whined and Bess ran back to the kitchen, snapping her fingers in hopes that the dog would follow her. She'd barely gotten back to the island when she heard the sound of Tamara's key in the lock. The end. <laughs> and scene. I'm glad I muted myself because I was like screeching like a little pterodactyl the entire time. But especially oh. when we hit 
so many points. So if there's things, the thing is that we might not have talked about this yet, but there's two things you need to know about Ray. It's this number one, if there's a way to put a dog, you're going to put a dog in it. <laughs> yeah. I, always oh, I should have seen that coming. I should have seen it coming, but I was nonetheless, honestly, the idea that Abe Tamura like lives alone in a sad little apartment, but also has a dog that he treats like a person is like a hundred percent. Yes. Right. I will accept that into my belief system. Thank you. It makes so much um, secondly, sense. Secondly, I knew you were gonna wake up and choose violence, even though you chose <laughs> you chose the funny prompt because I gave you a more ang- I would have given you a more angsty prompt, but I knew you were gonna choose angst regardless. And like, I know we've talked about this, like how you know the characters seem like foils for each other, like they're both like mm-hmm. different types of nice Jewish boy who also like kind of have a little bit of a dark side, but. The, the idea that, like, Tamara is basically, like, what would happen to Ace if he just, like, lets, like, if he doesn't end up with Nancy, fucking right? crushing, <laughs> crushing. I'm sorry, I had to, uh, like, just, like, it was actually B that mentioned Dark Ace <laughs> and, like, the Tamara situation. And I feel like you brought hard. it up first, though, because, like, and if, any, and if anyone would notice it, it would be best. Best would be the one that would be like, wait a second exactly like Like, i I want them to be friends now i want them to have teas and chats together you know like i I want them to have a book club part of the reason why this ended up getting so much longer was because i was just enjoying like their back and forth like oh shit i have to move this along <laughs> i feel like tamura has a specifically like i feel like he would be such like kind of like bitchy straight man friend which he kind of already is but like Best is nonsense. As we all know, best is nonsense is delightful. But I do feel like there's too many people that either like completely like Nancy and everyone else that kind of just ignores best is nonsense or they'll like coddle her. Mm-hmm. But she I feel like she needs someone to just be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, like just just like kind of be the bitchy exactly. friend, you know, um, I feel like he could put her like in her place in that weird, like it's not overstepping boundaries way. He just like, I feel like because he, he has the capability of being, he would be the kind of person, like he would be the kind of person that would listen to her 10 minute rant about how she's like hyper fixating and obsessing about like insecurities. And he would just deadpan, look at her and be like, this is the fucking stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And like completely get like, like you're, you're perfect. What the fuck? No, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, it's not you. What's wrong? Shut up. Like that is the kind of friend that I think everyone needs at least one of that kind of like cruel to be kind friend. Uh, Because like, honestly, like we're, we're at the point now where the drew crew, which by the way, I cackled aloud at the um, part where Tamara is like, basically like the drew crew, like he's a drew crew fanboy closeted. You know, he fucking follows all those social media. You know, you know, that he's, you know, he's following at Horseshoe Bay. George fan fan page. He's got a burner account on Instagram where he follows and is like raptly involved in like the, will they, won't they Nick and George ship slash, you know, what's up with cars are Ryan and Carson will they won't they like he's one of the biggest like closet shippers uh I that's why I kind of want him to come back because I think that you know um I just love him he he would really I think he's just a really he's like the alkaline you know he's like the 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 base that like de-acidifies you know Right. And like, I, I love want him Park. to quit the police. I do love Park, but I miss Tamara. Like there's just yeah. something about his energy that works so well in juxtaposition to the Drew crew while at the same time, like it's uh, the person who refuses to believe in the paranormal in spite of all odds. That's one of my favorite tropes. Like it's the, you know, it's like the heart, the Harvey Kinkle, the mm-hmm. person who like yeah. remains oblivious. But my favorite thing about him is he's like intentionally and doggedly oblivious. He will literally see a ghost yeah. and be like, 
Like the one, no. one of my favorite episodes of all time, you know, the, the haunted wedding dress where it makes everyone the ask, best episode, act pretty horny. the best episode perhaps. where he literally just deadpan and it goes, no, he's like, it's just like, really? So like, you aren't like freaked out. And he's like, no, I've seen a lot of weird, weird shit when people are on drugs. He's like, I once saw a man eat his own bicycle. And it's just like, you can see him like lying to himself and like, nope, I've decided I'm totally this, believing it. Yeah. This is the, this is the decision that I've made is to not believe any of this and I'm sticking with it and I love it. So yes, that was flawless i don't know why you i don't honestly the grift oh. too i crack up like there's it's to me okay it's just simple and character driven and you did all the things so Perfect. i don't okay. see any, that was my it, like concern was that technically like she doesn't actually con him into anything she just blatantly lies to get into his house and into his place but that's I mean, what con is I guess, yeah. is, so, like, it's con short for confidence ray <laughs> It's that's not true. That's true. You did tell me that. And it's okay, true. no, you're right. I take it back. Literally Perhaps means lying to someone's face and like down. not breaking eye contact and just being really good at lying and just not having, you know, which I is mean, why Bess is a terrible con man, con person, because she has anxiety. And I feel like if yeah. you have anxiety, you're probably going to struggle to, you know, keep the lie. I, but at the same time, I do think, especially like, I had a lot of fun with this because I got to do the best rambling and just to like yeah. really dive into just letting Bess go crazy for a few seconds. And like the fact that not only did I get to have the like sassy Tamara, no, shut up moment, but also like, I, I think that that kind of adds to her style as a con artist, if that makes sense. Like now that I've written well, it, you're it making, feels yeah. like kind of like, it yeah. does, really but like also- that. Is it just me or do I now need to you to do a second challenge where Bess suddenly oh, no. becomes friends with Tamura and she decides that Tamura also needs a new love in his life and she starts randomly shipping Tamura with people because who oh, is, God, you know, his good. mom's not around to like, you know, be a young. We don't know anything. And, All we yeah. know is that he's from Georgia. Yeah. Well, he like, lived in Georgia at one point. <laughs> I don't even know that much about it, but like, that's the thing I is, I think. research for this. <laughs> Of course you did. I'm so proud of you. Um, you. But like, I, I, but I think that that's something to be said, like for a character like that, like, I think I, one of my favorite things is when you bring in a character to be like a stereotype, like a straight man, mm -hmm. and then you allow them to kind of grow past that and be like really um, complicated and not just giving them a traumatic backstory. Like, like we've talked about with Bess, how like they're keeping like, oh, here's some more trauma that she had. And you're like, right. how about we let her oh, have more happened. autonomy? Yeah. And um, so I'm really excited, like, but I also kind of now will, I'm, I, the problem with doing this kind of thing is that it's like crack and it makes oh, it so that though. you're like, well, now we need to know more about this. And I want to, I care about him more and I want him to have his own, like, you know, rich life. I definitely don't want him to end up with Nancy. That's a conversation for another day. But no, anyway, but, we should yeah. probably get to our, our wrap up because. Yeah, because we have something exciting, like yeah. you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So if you've been listening along and thinking, man, this sounds like fun. Or, oh, I wish I had friends that would lightly haze me into doing, you know, challenging storytelling things. That I usually want to do. Want, wish no further, my friends. Uh, so, so we've decided as part of this, you know, episode, our challenge episode of AU City, we are going to issue to our listeners a ride along challenge uh, or a fuck along challenge or whatever <laughs> to write a scene or chapter in the format of your choice, whether you're trying to become a screenwriter or you're working on prose or whatever in the format of your choice that combines two of your favorite IPs. As you know, IP stands for intellectual property. And so it's basically a crossover style AU. 
Uh, for example, a crossover, it's like, so like in, in uh, Nancy Drew, the IRL season two, I think episode 15, Tom Swift was introduced as a character. Um, and that's what in TV writing, they call a backdoor pilot episode, which it sounds a lot more sexual than it is, to be honest. But if you haven't been watching the new hmm. show, Tom Swift, which just pre- premiered, you should be because it's kind of like, you know, what if, to- what if Tony Stark was black, gay, more fashionable and had way cooler friends and also a kind of bodyguard romance being teased i haven't, I haven't watched I can it only yet hope and wish. I, i've been trying to harass you already into this. making me want to and yeah, he's but, already dangling it yeah so tom swift is a spinoff in the world of but so other examples of lesser known crossovers include you know like flintstones and the jetsons which is a little throwbacky there's a supernatural and scooby-doo crossover episode or more recently a scooby-doo <laughs> with an animated john cena cameo i'm not sure if that counts as a crossover but look it up it's a real thing it happened and it's banana balls like actual john cena uh, there was a Supergirl in the Flash crossover episode, which is apparently a musical. I have not well, seen it, but DC I, does crossover episodes for all of their on the regular. So yeah, as long yeah. as if you have been watching any DCU shows, then you are familiar. And, with and yeah, and comics, you know, like we're the main. And so, yeah, like right. and I'm trying to think there's another like scandal and how to get away with murder, how to crossover episode, new role in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, how to crossover episode. So basically, you know, it's just taking two things and mashing them together meme style, like now kids. Mm-hmm. And you um, can do book crossovers too, if you wanted to. Like obviously comic books are some of like the most obvious examples of crossover editions. Of, but like the practice of writing a spinoff series inspired by side characters, very, very well in, a, excuse me, in a well-known work and or having characters from another work guest star in that standalone world goes back way further than you think. Like- Back to OG Greek mythology, there's even a Tumblr theory that Jane Eyre was a spinoff of a fanfic of Jane Austen's Emma, but that's mostly historical hearsay, and the authors can't confirm that unless we break out the Ouija board, which we could definitely try, maybe later. But we shouldn't probably do that again, depending on what happened last time. Mm, I don't mess with Ouija boards as much as I mess with other other bits of divination. But yeah, maybe you should stop with the Ouija board for now. So yeah, we'll just you you stay with your Sarlacc pit, and we will consult the Sarlacc pit, and I'll consult my cards. In the meantime, I'm going to give the listeners a definition officially, thanks to the Wikipedia. Uh, exactly the Wikipedia official definition of a crossover. A crossover is the placement of two or more otherwise discrete fictional characters, settings, or universes into the context of a singular story. They can arise from legal agreements between the relevant copyright holders, unauthorized efforts by fans, woo-woo, or common co- corporate <laughs> ownership. Marvel, Sony, think all that shit. Yeah. All that, all the things, all the, all the all corpse. So oh, yeah, technically the fact that uh, like Peter Parker in any way, shape or form is in the Marvel movies right now is technically considered a crossover. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, technically yeah, exactly. there are two different universes in terms of like mo- the movies. But anyway, multiverse. Forward, yeah. I'm going to let V tell you what well, your mission is. So yeah, that's basically, you know, so dearest listeners, you know, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to build a little Frankenstein ship of your own by combining ships. Remember, and on this show, any kind of relationship is cool, not just romantic, mm-hmm. and combine combine your favorite ships into a crossover scene that showcases how you feel like these characters would interact within all new variables. It's another tricky way of sciencing the art, as we like to say, of character-driven writing by pulling characters out of plot and setting and seeing how they hold up outside of their usual parameters. Mm-hmm. And just one quick 
fantastic reminder of what a true fanfic crossover could be. You could be creating the next super hulock right now. You don't oh know. Oh my God. That's a horrifying thought. Oh, I don't know if you know this, but Super Hulak is making a comeback on TikTok. It's very scary. Oh, I know. Currently, Amish Apocalypse point two going on two point Yeah, we'll have 2. to talk 0. about those of us who were around Tumblr and the old the old days of Tumblr. It's that don't don't cite the dark magic to me, which I was there when it was written, etc. Um, meme. Yeah, well, uh, just saying in this case, that's I'm still traumatized like, from 2011 Tumblr. <laughs> we are actively inviting our listeners to create the new Super Hulak. So you take that into consideration. Be. That's yikes. what you did. That's Fucking what you have yikes. unleashed upon the world. Thank you. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, let's not go that. You, you don't have to go that scale if you don't want. You can, but don't. You know. So I mean, I'm just so saying. What's the possibilities there? Before we get sued on any number of fronts at this point, let's let's yeah. go to our D's and redies, and uh, we'll we'll let you get started with your next fuck around because that is Yay. the point of this podcast is to yes, fuck around and find inspired out. Inspired you. So as a reminder, the D, uh, we do not own any of the IP characters from Nancy Drew, Tom Swift, or the settings from the show. The scenes we write for our AUND season four are original works of fan fiction intended for educational and entertainment purposes and not for the purpose of profiting from this IP. Uh, there are resources that we consulted um, this time, mostly Wikipedia when it comes to like, you know, the history of the crossover and lists of crossovers. There's actually yep. a page on Wikipedia that has like a complete list of all crossover episodes if you want to consult. But again, it's really not that hard, especially for the purposes of education, to just put two things together, mash them up. Yep. And also, just in case, we we used a lot of IMDb to help us specifically throughout most of this, um, especially when it comes to spelling characters' names, etc. <sighs> Don't trust your fanfic wikis. I'm sorry to bring that up. I'm sorry. I know. I'm still mad about but, it. I've been misspelling yeah. Tamara's name this entire fucking time, but it's okay. It, it's okay. But yeah, always consult, especially if it's a TV show, specifically consult your IMDb, etc. Don't just go for the fanfic wikis, although those can be super helpful depending on the fandom you're going into. Yeah, like just don't the Hannibal yeah. fandom. Thank you so much for your beautiful wiki. Thank you. <laughs> I love you. Just I feel like the, the state of a wiki is is commensurate to the obsession of the fans, like the obsession level, which it's is very true. I, I can't wait to see our wiki someday. Right. The three fans we have are going to be so obsessive. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be ridiculous. Yay. <laughs> we will love them so much. And on that beautiful note, let's go ahead and just outro us out. Thank you again for joining us today. This has been AU City, a collaborative storytelling podcast where plots are hatched, neurodivergence are unmasked, and pride is 13 months a year which does not make mathematical sense. But not only are we queer, we're writers. We don't deal with math. So hmm. math. And we're your co-hosts, Ray Noble and V Park. All right, kids, stay weird. And remember to F.A. and F.O. with your art. Like, subscribe, review, and never apologize for caring about fictional characters.